read a lot this week about making a grand entrance, about making an appearance, and I just showed you how not to do it. If you're a first-time visitor, it's not like this every week. I tell you, give me a chance. You might learn something and grow, I hope. Uh, but I want to talk about the appearances that Jesus made after the tomb was empty. Uh, I think because those appearances uh, communicate to us today how he appeared to them, what needs he met for those folks. They also, uh, I think, will say to us that he still appears today. So that's what we're going to look at. I like to research stuff. And uh, this week I read an article in Psychology Today about eight ways to make a grand entrance. And uh, it was very interesting. It was based on a study some German researchers did of classical violinists. And they studied how the audience reacted to the audience's perception of these violinists and their performances. And they found some interesting things. One is that the, the perception was not primarily influenced by uh, the clothing that the violinists wore or their physical attractiveness. No, the, the perception was heavily influenced, that first impression heavily influenced by the body language, by the confidence, uh, by the way that the violinist held their instrument. And that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, every day, you probably make first impressions on folks. that We say you never have a second chance to make a first impression. So there's, that article is very interesting. I recommend you read it. Uh, but I think about that because on the, these days, this, this special day, Jesus appeared. And then we see he appeared to Thomas a week later, which we'll look at. Now, I want you to get there, if you will. I want you to try to imagine being there and what this must have been like. You think Jesus is dead, and all of a sudden he's showing up. You think Jesus, uh, the hope, the dreams are gone, and he's showing up. And he still appears today. First, Jesus appears to Mary, and Jesus appears to her to soothe pain. You see, he'll meet different needs in each one of these people that he appears to or pe- persons. Uh, he'll appear to them. Uh, to Mary, he appears to soothe her pain. This is in verses 11 uh, through 18. Now, verse 10 says, uh, follow up from last week, after, uh, you remember Mary went to the empty tomb and it was empty and she thought they'd stolen his body. She ran to the disciples And Peter and John heard what she said, and they raced to the tomb, and they looked, and sure enough, the tomb was empty. And then verse 10 says, and the disciples left to go home. And verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away she said and I don't know where they put him she's still sticking with the stolen body theory at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus he asked her woman why are you crying who is it you're looking for Uh, thinking he was the gardener uh, she said sir if you've carried him away tell me where you've put him and I will get him and Jesus said to her Mary she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic Rabboni which means teacher Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told him, them that he had said these things to her. It's an amazing story. There are several things that jump out to me I want to share with you. The first, I got to tell you, it shows me how far I have to grow. If I was Jesus and and I'd left the tomb, I'd come back from the dead, I would not just be going to Mary and and not identifying myself. I I wouldn't, uh, I would be showing up in Pilate's bedroom, right? I'd be like, hey, you thought you killed me, but you didn't. You think the emperor's got power? Hey, that's nothing, right? Or I'd be going to the Jewish high priest uh, council to the, where they gathered. Hey, guys, I'm back. But that's not what Jesus does. He appears to Mary. Why? You might need to understand the Greek word there is not just a tear comes to her eyes. It's not just a... A, 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 a quiet cry. It's one of those cries, maybe you have to think back to remember one of those cries where your body is racked with sobs, you're, you're having a hard time catching your breath, your nose is running, everything. I mean, you know those kind of cries where you really are hurting? That's what that Greek word means. That's where she is. She doesn't know how she'll go on that kind of cry. She doesn't know how she'll keep going that kind of pain. Maybe today you've put on a smiling face, but inside there's pain. Maybe it's physical pain. Maybe it's relationship pain. But ultimately, I I think the worst kind of pain is is emotional pain it's not uh, feeling like anybody cares it's not feeling like we have any purpose and so uh, this Jesus he appears to Mary because he knows he has what she needs he has spiritual truth a relationship you notice the relationship words there he simply says to her mary i don't know why she didn't recognize it probably because she's crying so hard but she recognizes she hears in that name personal and she realizes it's her lord it's jesus two you see here that he says to her uh, that i'm going to my father and your father to my god and your God, it's, it's personal. See, here's the problem. We cause collateral damage in our lives by the choices that we make. We think we're doing what we want to do as we please ourselves, as we do what our, our self-interest uh, compel us to do. But so oftentimes, that selfish, those selfish choices, they bring that realization that we harm those people that we love, that we maybe don't do and make the right choices. And and it brings with it residual guilt and pain. It causes us to have a negative self-image, at least inside. Maybe we don't show it to others. Maybe we appear like we don't care on the outside, but it is there. The Bible says that our sin, that self-choice, the selfish, self-centered behavior, it causes a gap between us and God. It causes us 
to lose that connection with God. Jesus came, his purpose in coming was to bring a way to have that gap closed, that gap to be bridged. It was a way for us, if we recognize and confess that sin, we repent of that sin. As we are baptized, that gap is closed. We come back into relationship with him. And what does the scripture say? That he provides forgiveness as far as the east is from the west. What he says is that because of Jesus coming, as Jesus appeared to Mary, he was soothing her pain. As Jesus appears to us, he can do the same. Not just helping us in that moment, but for us to know that for eternity, his blood has cast our forgiveness in stone. His blood is eternally working for us. His blood eternally brings forgiveness for us. You see, the ultimate pain reliever is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You go to the drugstore, you get over-counter pain relievers. Uh, You go to your doctor, if those don't work, you can get some some high-strength pain relievers. But the only relief I think you can have for what truly troubles us in the human condition is to have that relationship, that forgiveness with him. And he says to her, Mary, and he brings comfort for her pain. What are your pains today? As we talked about in communion that he can soothe your pain. He also can pacify your fears. Jesus appears to pacify fears to the disciples, right? He shows up with them in verse 19. It reads like this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord again. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You see, his direct reference is to what? It's to bringing us back into fellowship with others as well as we brought fellowship with him through the breath of the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple things about this. They are locked up, and you understand that they are locked up probably for good reason. Uh, Jesus had preached the gospel, and for that, he'd been crucified. And they were associated with him, and so they're locked away, hiding for their lives, even though they've heard from Peter and John that the, the tomb is empty. Even though the two guys that Jesus met on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, had come back to them and told them, he, we saw him, he's alive, they still are locked away. Oftentimes our fears, they have a rational basis. The things that you're afraid of, they oftentimes are based in some reason. <laughs> then Luke 24 makes it, clearer and you got to imagine if you're there okay they're behind this lock room they're kind of antsy already and then all of a sudden da the Luke 24 says they were startled and frightened and became pale as ghosts you think right he's just popping in but what does he say peace be with you you know the prophet Isaiah said that one of the titles for the Messiah would be the prince of peace 
that, that Jesus comes to pacify fears. I like that word pacify. It actually means uh, to make peace. And we get our English word pacifier from it. My son Bo is 6'4". He's all, he turned 30 in June. Uh, he's 6'4 now, uh, has a beard, but he wasn't always that tall and that old. He was a baby one time. And Bo, uh, I've already embarrassed him in the first service. He's not in this service, but y'all can all make fun of him too, okay? He, he was a person who had to have his pacifier. And he called it not a pacifier. He called it his bath. My brother talks about the time he came to see us in Tennessee, where we were living. He was from Georgia, and, and he, all he remembers is Bo, whenever he couldn't find his pacifier, which was often, he'd go, he'd go around the house going, where's my bath? Where's my bath? You know, that pacifier, I mean, he could be screaming his head off. You find the pacifier, just not any pacifier, his pacifier. You find it, put it in his mouth, and I don't know what it is that you fear. But I believe, because I have felt it myself, I believe that as God brings to bear and gives to me his spirit, which the Bible says, as we confess our sins and repent of them and are baptized, we receive the forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He breathes on us. What do we tell people when they're afraid, when they're upset, when they're nervous? Take a deep breath. Don't be, but take a deep breath. The Holy Spirit comes, and the Bible says that he will give us a peace that passes understanding. You don't always understand it. Maybe your fears have a rational basis, but God will give you a peace that passes understanding. With Christ, we can know that we might not always have the solution that we want. We might not always get exactly the protection that we think we need, but he's going to take care of it and he's going to make it all right. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided to you. His promises can be trusted. His ways are sure. You might not know the way he's going to take care of those fears, but he will make a way. And that's what he says to them here. Peace be with you. And he would say that if he was here today to you. You might be afraid. Peace be with you. Third, Jesus appears to quell doubts. He appears to quell doubts. This is to Thomas. This is in verse 24 and following. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Where was he? I don't know. Maybe he's taking a personal day. I, I don't know. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I, you know, I don't give Thomas a hard time because I think if I was there, I would have been Thomas. I think I would have been saying the same thing. Now, what, what just jumped out at me this week that I'd never really thought about is the next words are a week later. <laughs> Uh, for a week, they had this conversation. Don't you know how we do it? We don't let things lie. They, I saw him. He had, no, he's not alive. Yep, no, yep, no, yep. Right? You ever have those kind of weeks, those months with arguments with folks? A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I'd have been said, Calm down. Uh, It's okay. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Now, if I was there, I'd see this. I'd, Thomas, no, no, I, I, I don't need, reach out your hand and put it into my, no. You see those, it had to be kind of gross, those puncture marks in his hands, and you put your finger and it goes all the way through. Here, Thomas, put your hand, there's my liver. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I spent a good many years of my life with the questions. I am by nature a skeptic, a doubter. I had to examine it. And so I read several books. The most powerful for me was C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. And in that work, I see all of the evidence there is. I think it, as I said last week, if you have a test tube, you could fill it 80% full of evidence that Jesus was the Messiah, that he is the living son of God. That last 20% is faith, but there's a lot more evidence than you think. And I will say to you, it comes down to if you believe or not. And Jesus appears. See, the empty tomb, it was empty they saw that they knew that but they weren't sure where he was mary thought he was stolen but he appears to quell those doubts he appears to show them he is alive and you might say well man i wish he would appear today then i would believe i I wish i could see him in the flesh then i would believe we don't have that privilege but i will tell you this Jesus still appears today. He still appears through testimonies. Through testimonies. And that's exactly what he tells them to do. Verse 29 shows us that. Uh, Verse 29 says, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What he's saying is that there are folks who will take the word... They will understand that he is alive and they will have that walk, that lifestyle with him. You know, folks, I tell you, I've always based my thoughts as I do research and have questions and doubts. I've always sought evidence. I've always sought information. And I will tell you that, but I'll also tell you as I've gotten older, I'm more mystical. I feel the presence of Jesus with me. He's like a friend that I talk to him and... And he helps me, guide me through the day, along with the Holy Spirit. And and he says to them here, you folks need to understand that I don't just appear to you to take care of your personal pain. I don't just appear to you to take care of your own fears, your personal fears. I don't care just so you alone can believe. I appear to you to give you a testimony, to give you this understanding that that experience, that belief, that lifestyle with Jesus alive in you, you need to share with others. And that's exactly what he said to the disciples, wasn't it? As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. That's exactly what he said to Mary. You need to go tell the disciples I'm alive. You need to go tell others, right? 
John says this in the gospel. Remember, we've been talking about the eyes of John throughout this series. Uh, John 1.1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, who's that? It's Jesus, the living word, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. It's about testimony. It always has been that we, those who are, of us who believe, need to share it with others. And we see his reality. We see the, the truth of who he is and that he is alive through the testimony of others. First Corinthians talks about the testimonies of the early church. First Corinthians 15, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, which we've been talking about, and that then he appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Paul writing that, on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him as to one abnormally born. All of that to say, it wasn't just one person saying he was alive. Over 500. As I talked about last week, if this was all a big conspiracy, a hoax, when they started getting arrested and tortured and killed for their faith, you know some folks would have recanted. They would have said, no, nah, we made it up. But they didn't. They all had the same testimony. You have a testimony. What are you doing with it? Jesus still appears through the Word. Through the Word, through the Scriptures. John five thirty nine says, You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the prophecies about the Messiah who would come, who would be killed, but would rise again. And he's saying, this has all come true in my life. And then we have the privilege of having the New Testament as well. We have the scriptures that bring him to life. We have known folks, I've known plenty of folks that, that heard the testimony of someone else and then started reading the Bible. And they, they, Jesus came alive for them through the words of Scripture. There, we still have that capacity today. John 20, 30 through 31 says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are recorded, got that Scripture, which are recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then Jesus still appears, and maybe most importantly, through the church. Through the church, through us. Verses 20 to 21, uh, as I told you, he didn't let them understand that this was just for him that he appeared. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What was he going to do? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You might understand that today is you'll be my witnesses in Chilhowee and Higginsville and Nobnoster and Sedalia and Warrensburg and Kansas City. He... He needs us to be the testimonies. He needs us to understand he didn't come just for our pains, just for our fears, just for our doubts. 
If you doubt that, uh, let me tell you what Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says. And God placed all things under his feet. He's talking about Jesus. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is what? Which is his body. What did he say to them? Mary, the disciples, Thomas, you see me. My body. I'm alive. Well, 40 days he appeared in his resurrected body and then he ascended back to the Father. And then Acts 1.8, he starts the church, Acts chapter 2, and then the church becomes his body. The church becomes the testimony. The church becomes... So let me ask you this and close with this. Do you have people around you that are in pain? You might be called to soothe that pain. You have people around you that are afraid, gripped by fear. You might be called to bring the gospel, to bring Jesus, to pacify those fears. Do you have people around you that doubt, that aren't sure, that have questions? You might help quell those doubts or send them uh, to me. I'd be glad to meet with them, talk with them. Maybe you can answer more than you think. You see, I think he needs all of us to keep appearing today. It's his plan A. There is no plan B. He needs all of us who have been blessed, who have been forgiven, who have been set free. He needs all of us to help others walk the same path. Well, as we think about these things today, I pray that you have taught us, you've convicted us, you've changed us. I thank you that you appeared to Mary and to the disciples and to Thomas. You taught us through your appearances to them. But I thank you even more that you keep teaching us. And even more, you use us (coughs) to appear, to have Jesus appear to others. I pray, Father, you'll uh, lead us and guide us this week. Help us to be Jesus to those around us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.